Well, all right. Good morning, everybody. Hey, do you have one of these? <clears throat> if you do not, you are missing out because on the back is a number, and we're about to pull a lottery and uh, give away a free car. Actually, we have chosen by random one of you to donate your car to this giveaway. <laughs> so somebody's going to need to ride home, all right? No, you know, uh, if you don't have one of these, there are people floating around. Just raise your hand and you'll get one and a pen because we really want you to take our time of study serious and use these uh, paper and pen to write down the things that the Lord is teaching you. Uh, some of you will take notes and you'll fill this thing up and that's cool. And you'll write down everything that's said. But I really want to encourage you, uh, if you're doing that or if you're not doing that, really listen to what the Lord has for you, because there's going to be things that may happen or be said today that really strike you personally that you need to write down and maybe go back and deal with or talk to the Lord about or continue to study. So use these. They're provided to help you make the most out of this time. All right? So let's go to 1 Corinthians. We've been studying through this book, and we are in chapter 10. And we are going to start reading in verse 23. You can follow on the screen, or uh, if you have one of the house Bibles, um, that's going to be on page, page, somebody give me a page, 796. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, actually take that one with you. It's yours now. Verse 23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising question of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake, the other man's conscience. I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even, if I tr even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow Christ. We've been studying uh, this little section in Corinthians where Paul's been talking to the Corinthians about eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols and kind of how to live in this city that they live in where almost everything uh, was sacrificed to idols. Should they eat it or should they not eat it? Is it tainted meat? Is it demon meat? Or is it okay to eat? And so finally, Paul comes to this passage, uh, and we come with him, to where he's actually saying, we're free to go to the party now. If somebody invites you to a party uh, or to dinner, you can go. In fact, uh, He's saying, not just go, 
uh, to the party if you've invited. Paul is saying, get out there in the culture. Go, get out there. There's this big world outside this little warehouse, and that big world is waiting for us to go. We often say here, if you've come to church, it's going to be over in about an hour. But if you are the church, then go. Because we live as the church more out there than we do in here. Matter of fact, if you do the math, we're in here in this warehouse collectively, the church gathering to worship the Lord and to learn, maybe 1% of the week. But 99% of the week, we're out there. So are we the church when we're out there? Are we as much the church out there as we are in here? And Paul is saying, yes, you are. In fact, he's saying we should look more like the church out there than we even look like in here. So what does that look like? Well, I want to do this passage backwards, if you'll let me today. And let's go to verse 31, because I'd like for the rest of our time and study to be seen through this lens. Paul says in verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do everything for the glory of God. Everything. What does that mean? I mean, just think about that for a minute. What does that mean for you to leave here today and everything you do today for the glory of God? That tomorrow when you wake up, everything is for the glory of God. Does it mean that like you put Pandora on worship music and you just listen to worship music all day long? Is that what it means? Does it mean that uh, you buy one of those portraits of Jesus that you can hang like in your house and no matter where you go, his eyes kind of follow you? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen those portraits? Like, wait, he's looking at me. Or how about a bumper sticker on the back of your car that says, my co-pilot is a Jewish carpenter? So that when you get really frustrated, it'll restrain your hand in traffic. Oh, yeah, I can't do that. I got a bumper sticker. Glory to you, God, for that bumper sticker. I mean, seriously, all the time. Does it mean that at every moment, at every day, I'm constantly asking God, what's your will? What's your will? What's your will? What do you want from me? Glory, 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 all the time. So when you're sitting in the restaurant and your friends are going, would you order already? And you're going, I'm not sure if God's will is the salmon or the steak. I don't know yet. Give me a minute, all right? Pray, Lord, to your glory, to your glory. Salmon, salmon, steak. Is that what it means? I mean, seriously. Does it mean when you're going to your friend's house, should I turn right or should I turn left? Lord, give me direction. Or I saw on the internet the other day, Jesus soap. Have you seen this? What does it do? Washes your sins away. I love that. That would be a little creepy. Having soap in the shape of Jesus' face. Does it mean... Then I become bland. Does it mean that I, I push all color out of my life, all art out of my life, all flamboyant beauty? I love that word, flamboyant. Does it mean that I push out everything that's flamboyant in my life because I need to get serious now? I need to get serious about everything needs to be to his glory, and I can't have any distractions. I can't have all this color or fashion or art or, you know, to be consumed with something as silly as maybe going dancing last night. That's, I, to, I gotta be serious, you know? Don't put salt on everything or anything. Does it mean that every one of your vacations must be a missions trip? 
then a lot of us would be vacationing in the Bahamas, right? They need Jesus down there. What does Scripture say? Let's go to it. Scripture tells us that there's actually uh, two ways that we understand God's glory and glorifying Him. The first is God's inherent glory. In other words, here is what we need to understand. God is glorious. Nobody gave it to Him. Nobody ascribed it to Him. Nobody came up to God and said, let me give you something called glory. He is the only creature, if you want to call it that, in all of creation that is self-contained in his own glory. Nobody gave it to him. See, if none of us gave God praise, if from now until the end of time, nobody praised the Lord anymore, God would still be glorious. He's complete. He's completely full. His glory is so full, if you can imagine a cup that's filled up to the very top, that you can't put any more without it spilling out. That's how full God is in his glory. Nothing we can do can add to God's glory. We can't give God anything that he doesn't have. So is this kind of like, you know, when I, my kids were little and I gave them money to go buy me a Christmas present? Like, you know, yeah, go buy me a tie. Here's 10 bucks, you know? Is that what this whole worship thing is about? Well, not really, but yes. Yes, in the sense that we only give him what he's given us, and no, in the fact that he doesn't really need a tie. All right? God has plenty of ties. So we're not giving God anything he doesn't already have. He already has it, and he's complete, and he's full. But then all Scripture talks about ascribing glory to God. And what is this about? It's not adding to his glory. Like, we can't add to his strength. Like, God is not sitting in heaven going, you know, I'd really like to move history in this direction. Or I'd really like to accomplish this, but I'm re- I just, I, it's kind of stuck in the mud. And only if the church woke up and got serious about praying, or if the church woke up and got serious about doing something, then I would be able to do what I really want to do. That's not God. God's sitting in heaven going, I am God. And I am full of glory, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. God is never discontent. God is never not satisfied. God is so fully complete within himself that whatever he desires to accomplish is accomplished. He doesn't need my strength to add to his strength so that history gets unstuck. God's going to do what he wants to do. So why do we worship him? What are we ascribing? What are we giving to God? Is God like an egomaniac? Is he like in heaven going, oh, I wish more people would just be happy with me, you know? Do y'all like me? Is that God? Is God up there going, if I can just get more people to sing praises to me, then I'm going to be more complete? No. If you're writing stuff down, I'd love for you to write this down. God is completely happy. God is completely satisfied. And see, that's the whole point. When we come into worship, when we come to ascribe glory to God, we're proclaiming the reality of God's glory. When we worship him, it's true that God made us worshiping beings. I mean, every person on this planet is a worshiping being. We worship something. And he made us that way, but our true nature, the nature that was in the garden and the nature that we're restored to when we become Christians, when Christ died on the cross, 
when he rose again, and he says, I give you new life for those that step in with belief into Jesus Christ. It says the old is gone and the new has come. The new that comes, our new nature, our true nature now, our real nature, and we talk about it a lot. If you peeled me back like an onion and you got to the core of who I was, you wouldn't find this crummy, cruddy, you know, inconsistent guy that's desperately looking for God. You would find my true nature, which is redeemed and made holy in unison with Christ. That true nature is made to worship God. And so when I worship God and I ascribe to God who he is and his glory, it does two things. The first thing it does is it draws me into the reality of his completeness. In other words, it brings me revelation of him. When I worship him, it opens my eyes to see the glory of who he is. And then the second thing is just beautiful. It opens my eyes to see me. So why is God doing this? Because God desires to give you the greatest gifts he can possibly give you. And what is the greatest gift God can give you? Anybody? Himself. Yes. And so how does he give himself in worship? When we see him, he reveals himself. And he reveals who he is in all his majesty so that I can also see me. What I mean by that is that when I come to God and I see how magnificently awesome he is, when I see how glorious he is, guess what that does to all his promises? Guess what that does to all the things that he says that's true about me? It punctuates them. Boom. And I go, oh, oh, okay. This is where I come to get satisfied. This is where I come to get filled up. This is where I come to get what my heart longs for. Think about the last time you saw something in nature that just uh, blew your mind. You know, maybe a sunset at the beach or maybe, you know, uh, the mountains or, you know, whatever that just blew your mind. And we stand there and when we see that sunset and we go, wow, you know, it's, it's like worship, isn't it? And I don't, I, by, by going, wow, I'm not adding anything to that sunset, am I? I mean, I can't alter that. I can't turn around to the people on the beach and go, would y'all be more amazed by this sunset so it'll get brighter and more beautiful? We can't do that. But when I go, wow, when I lean myself into the magnificent, flamboyant beauty of that sunset, it's not what I'm doing to the sunset. It's what I'm doing to me now. Now I'm opening myself up to that beauty and to the magnificence of it. And that's what the Lord is saying. When we give him glory, we're beholding him for who he is. But it does something to us. It changes us. But it also does something else. And I love this about the Lord. The Lord invites us into his glory. Like imagine that I won the lottery. You know, like stupid Powerball, like big time 500 gazillion dollars. And I announced to you today I'm taking everybody on vacation. We're all going five star all the way. We're all going. Well, first of all, uh, some of you would be happy, and some of you would go, where are we going? I don't know. It depends on where we're going. Like, you need Jesus, all right? It's going to be good. Use your imagination. If you're married to somebody who has no imagination, lean over and say, I'll explain all this to you later, all right? So we're going. And we go and just pretend for a minute that you can have a good time. And we have a blast, all right? And we come back and you're telling stories. 
What, what just happened on that trip? You were invited into the goodness of my wealth, right? I welcomed you into the joy of my kingdom, right? It's exactly what the Lord does. He invites us in to experience his satisfaction, to experience his perfect happiness, to experience his perfect joy, to experience who he is. He invites us, come into the wealth of my satisfaction. Taste it, live in it, dance in it, celebrate it. That's why it says in Psalm 63, it's a great one to write down, Psalm 63 in verse 3, but the whole psalm is awesome. He's, David says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. See, when we're brought into the satisfaction of God through his glory, it changes what I do with these. It changes what I do with these. It changes what I do with these. It changes what I do with this. And I don't mean my hair. I mean your mind. You know, it changes how you think about things, how you see yourself. It opens our eyes. That's why for the last couple of weeks we've been talking about idols. And idols are the love stealers. Think about this for a minute. When I give myself, when I walk away from the satisfaction, the wealth of my father, and I step over here into the kingdom of idols, I'm I'm giving something away, like coveting. When I'm covetous, it's turning away from God Usually to say, God, you're not enough. I'm going to find my satisfaction in things now. I'm going to find my satisfaction in toys. Or what about lust, the idol of lust? When I'm turning away from God, I'm saying, God, you don't satisfy enough. I'm going to go over here to my idol of lust, and I'm going to find my satisfaction in sex. Or what about bitterness? You know, I say to God, when I'm turning away into bitterness, that you're not enough, and I'm going to go and find my satisfaction in revenge now because I'm going to hang on to this bitterness, because I find this bitterness is more satisfying to me than you are. You see how, how these idols are robbing us away from the glory of God? Or how about impatience? I love that. I'm turning away from God, and I'm saying I'm going to find my satisfaction in my own plans, in my own actions not being interrupted. See, glory to God And this is where we're going to jump off. This is the diving board. We're springing now. Glory to God is finding our deepest satisfaction in him. So Paul is talking about walking into this world that way. For example, if I'm going out into the world, if you leave here today and you're going to go out into this world that the scripture says we're aliens in, that we're just passing through, This is not our kingdom. We're of another kingdom. If I'm going into this world and I'm looking for love, I'm looking for peace, I'm looking for joy, I'm looking for fulfillment, I'm looking for acceptance and approval, I'm looking for something to satisfy me. Think about that. If I go out there through those doors going, I'm going out there to find my deepest satisfaction, you're going to go out there very differently than if you say, I'm going out there and I know that I'm loved. I know that I have peace. I know his joy. I know his fulfillment. I know his acceptance. I know his approval. So I'm not going out there to look for something. I'm going out there as somebody who's already found something. And it has satisfied me and filled me up. 
And that's what Paul is saying is us as believers, when we worship the Lord, it opens our eyes to see he's given us everything. Drink, eat, fill yourselves up so that when you go out there, you go out there as full. Make sense? Okay. Verse uh, 23, 24, because now he says, as full people, how do we go out into the world? Everything is permissible. (sighs) Wow. All right. Right? Paul's actually got that in quotes because he's quoting the Corinthians. Because the Corinthians are saying, remember what you said, Paul, when you were here? Hey, we're free people. We're not bound by the law anymore. Everything is permissible. And Paul is saying, okay, great. I'll give you that. Everything is permissible. But not everything is beneficial. In other words, not everything's going to create a profit. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Not everything is going to build the house that I'm talking about building. So Paul goes on to say, I want to change what you say by everything is permissible. From everything is permissible for me to everything in my life is permissible for we. In other words, Paul is starting to already challenge them that when we're satisfied, something subtle begins to happen. My eyes turn away from me to start seeing you. And we start desiring to build up one another. When I'm satisfied, the first thing I start to see happening in my life is I stop becoming so selfish and putting me at the center of every equation. And I start looking at you and start moving toward you. So how do we do that? Verse 25. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, they're having a party. You want to go eat whatever is put before you without raising question of conscience. (laughs) Okay. We can go. Do you hear what he's saying? We're not going to stay in here. We're not going to create this fortress here at Midtown. The doors are open. And not only are we going, but you know what? We're going as those that are so satisfied that we love everything. I mean, think about if he was here today, Paul would say, enjoy all kinds of music. What kind of music do you like? Go and enjoy it as your conscience allows. Go to whatever movie you want to go to as your conscience allows. You like good wine? Go try good wine, as your conscience allows. How about people of different religions? Can we enjoy them? Yes. How about clubs, theaters, cars that you drive, the homes that you live in, good food? We are free to go out into the world and say, yes, we love life and live it. But let me tell you, when you go out there to go live full lives, that are full of joy and satisfied. Therefore, everything adds to my satisfaction, my friendships, my possessions. They don't own me, I own them, but they still bring joy into my life from my cars to my guitars to whatever it is that you get joy out of from your running shoes to those of you that run marathons and abuse yourselves, whatever joy you get from that, I don't know. But, you know, we're, we're free to go out there and grab life and drink it down and enjoy it. Not because it offers us satisfaction. We've got that. But because we're satisfied, we can fully enjoy all that it was meant to be. When Jesus comes and makes the new heavens and the new earth, what do you think the new earth's going to be like? It's going to be full of stuff that we're going to drink down and enjoy. 
right? Does that mean that when I go out in the world that I shouldn't be on my guard? Well, you're going to go out and find crazy situations. What if your next-door neighbors are swingers? (laughs) Didn't think we'd talk about that this morning, did you? I mean, does that creep you out a little bit? Some of you are like, no. Three months ago, we had a talk on sexuality. Go back and study it. Should I hang up large crosses between me and them on our property? Should I throw scripture verses over in their yard? Can I hang out with them? Yes, you are free. If they invite me to dinner, can I go? Yes, you are free. If he asks me to go to the boat show with him next week, can I go with him and be seen with him in public? Yes, you are free. You're free. I have friends that the only place they want me to ever meet them for lunch is places like the tap room. Do you have friends like that? Some of you are thinking, that's me. Oh, no, please tell me that's okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm a preacher. This is a bar, right? And they have outdoor seating, so everybody driving down 12 South can see me and go, oh, good Lord. <laughs> There's a preacher standing there having a beer for lunch. Call the Pope. Can I go? Yes, I am free. I am free. Can I go there? Yes, I am free. If your friend is a Hindu and worships in the temple over in Bellevue, can they be your friend? Can they? Well, I just don't know. I mean, we believe such radically different stuff, and every time I'm with them, I just, you know, I just, I just feel like, you know, that Jesus just be, be so disappointed in me because I should be making friends with other good Christians, you know, people that believe like I believe and carry Bibles around. If they invite me to go to the Hindu temple with them, can I go? When I step onto the Hindu property and I'm like, oh, you know, there's like 30 different gods here. You know, I need to be cleansed when I leave because maybe I'm like Hindu possessed now. All right. Can I go there? Yes, you are free. You are free. When I, uh, before I became a Christian, uh, some of you know my story. You know, I made a lot of money illegally. Uh, selling a lot of different things that grow out of the ground. And I knew in my town that there were all these party spots, and a lot of them are outdoors, bonfire, that's the kind of stuff you do in a small town in Louisiana. You know, not everybody's just sitting around dating their cousins, all right? <laughs> we have a good time. So I knew where all they were, and I became a believer. I mean, God radically changed my life. And so I come home, and I'm sitting there, and it's a Friday night, And I know where all the parties are, all right? Uh, Can I get in my car and go to those parties? No, I'm not saying that there aren't challenges, that this is my history, and that I may have conscience that binds me and may feel that there are places where I'm weak if I go there and don't want to fall into temptation. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about am I free as a believer to go to those parties? You betcha I'm free. I'm free to hang out with them. But... Here's the big but, all right? 
28. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered and sacrificed, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake. Now get this, conscience sake. The other man's conscience. I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another man's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thanked God for? What is he talking about there? Now remember, we're talking about those that are, those that are doing everything to the glory of the Lord. That's, that's our goal. We want to step into our true nature and we want to glorify the Lord and find our deepest satisfaction in him. As satisfied people, we're going out into the world and we're free to go. And then Paul throws this big butt up here on the screen. Why? Well, let's talk about it just for a minute. If I'm with somebody and they ask me to step over the line, I don't have that freedom. If I'm at the party at the lake and somebody passes me a joint and says, hey man, this is for old times. That's where I say, hey man, love being here, but that's where I draw the line. If the swinging couple comes to me and says, hey, we'd love for you guys to swing with us. Hey, we'll have dinner with you, but that's crossing the line, all right? If I go to Bonnaroo, and I'm with all my friends. Do I have the freedom to sleep in a sleeping bag when it's 120 degrees outside? Yes, you do. Question your insanity. But I go with my friends, and I'm at Bonnaroo, and I'm there for the glory of the Lord, remember? I do all for the glory of the Lord. And all of a sudden, up on the stage, you know, uh, goes off my pretty lights, and then a new band comes on the stage, and they are called Satan's Band from Hell to the Praise of Demons. Catchy name, isn't it? <laughs> Do I turn and run? Ah, you know, I'm a Christian. Cross, cross, holy water. You know, is, do I? Am I free to stay there with my friends and love on my friends and even enjoy the beat, you know? Heck yeah. You know, and everybody's doing their stuff, you know? But if the band looks down at the stage and says, now everybody join in us in praising the demon of the day, Paul says that's where we stop. And this is really interesting why he says we stop. You know, because who do I belong to? I belong to the Christ. Demon has no claim on me. He has no claim on me. You know, I belong to the Lord. And my life now is hidden with Christ in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Nothing can touch me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if you're a believer, I'm telling you, Satan has no claim on you. Matter of fact, he has no, sin has no claim on you. You've been set free. The only thing they can do is deceive you because they can't take away from you what God has given you because you are kept in him. That's how strong our redemption is. So I'm free, but I stop at that point, not for my conscience, because I know who I am. I can sing some song, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. But that doesn't change who I am because I know who I am, and I know why I'm here, and I know what's going on. But I stop, not for me, but for the one sitting around me. What does that mean? 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Do we have that? So whether you eat or drink, do whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. 
For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What was Christ's example? He hung out with prostitutes, but he never had sex with them. He hung out at parties where people were getting hammered. He never got hammered. He hung out with thieves and murderers and liars, and yet he never sinned. Matter of fact, he said that he didn't come to heal the healthy. He came to heal the sick. He didn't call the righteous to himself. He called sinners to himself. So when he walked this earth, he was surrounded by the crustiest people you can possibly imagine. And yet in their midst, he did not sin. So that's a great example, isn't it? But it's more than just his example. It's also his motive that we need to follow. What was his motive? Was Jesus here on vacation? Like, did he decide in heaven, you know, man, I just, angels, I just need a little time away from you guys, you know? Y'all are all great. I love the wing thing. But I just need, was he here on vacation? Or did Jesus come here to shame us? You know, like, this is what, you know, a real man looks like. Was Jesus here to say, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, we're all cool. God loves us all, man, hey. You cannot read the Bible without recognizing that Jesus was not here for any of those things. He came here on a rescue mission. And we are the ones that he rescued. He came here to rescue people from death. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 3 and 5, that's a good one to write down because it's a good one to go back and look at. It says that the whole purpose of Jesus' coming was to rescue. Now, let me close with this, okay? Because if we're following Christ, and I'm going out into that world, and my Jesus is out in that world, and he's out there doing the work of rescue, and he's calling me to join with him in this rescue mission, to go out, man, surround yourself with those people that are crusty. Don't be afraid of that. Know who you are. Be fully satisfied in the Father. But as we go out there, we know why we're going out there to rescue. We're going out there to bring a message of hope and truth to those that have not heard it before. I was praying about that this week. And um, it reminded me of a scene from a movie. Yes, you're surprised. Blood Diamond, have you seen this movie? One of the stories, the characters and the stories in the movie is about Solomon Vandy, who uh, is an African, a good man whose son is kidnapped and turned into a child soldier, which if you've been to Uganda with us, you've met many of those. And they drugged him up. They abused him. They made him do horrible things to brainwash him into believing that he was truly a ruthless man when all along he was just a little boy. And Solomon, and throughout this movie, has committed himself to going and finding his son, even at the cost of his own life. That he gave up everything to go find his boy. And there's a scene in the movie where he finds his boy and they get him away. uh, And then his boy turns on him with a gun. And I want you to hear what Solomon Vandy says to his son. 
in view of what Paul is saying to us, as those that are satisfied in the glory of God, we go into this world as free people. He looked at his son, who was pointing a gun at his face, and he said, Dia, what are you doing? Dia, look at me. Look at me. What are you doing? You are Dia Vinde of the proud Mende tribe. You're a good boy who loves soccer in school. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains and red palm oil stew with your sister Nyanda and the new baby. The cow waits for you. And Babu, the wild dog who minds no one but you. I know they made you do bad things, but you are not a bad boy. I am your father who loves you, and you will come home with me, and you will be my son again. You know, when we step into the glory of God and we realize how he fills us up and satisfies us, and we step into who, what, we, what we were made for and who we were made for, it changes us. Doesn't it? Doesn't it change what we have in our hands and what we value? And it changes our eyes, and this is so radical, from us to me to I see you. That's why Paul said, no one seeks their own good but the good of others. We go into culture satisfied to join Christ in his mission to seek and to save the lost. I know, for some of us, it's just, oh, you just say, ah, oh, it's just, ah, oh. that's hard, but it's there. Paul's saying that to you and to me. But when we taste the freedom of all things for the glory of the Lord, it sets us free to take, a, take my eyes off of how I'm all weirded out by that because that's about me to a tremendous love for you. I want to show you something. And I want you to be careful when you watch this because what I'm not saying with what you're about to watch is you need to do more. What I want you to see is I want you to see the transition of value, transition of identity in what I'm about to show you. Because this is uh, the end of a true story of a man who was a playboy, an industrialist, made millions of dollars and threw a lot of it away on frivolous things. And then his heart got a hold of something that he couldn't let go. And he gave his life to it. You guys ready? This man's name is Schindler. Schindler. Schindler was... Uh, an industrialist in Nazi Germany and uh, began to realize that he could rescue people from concentration camps and put them as workers in his plant and uh, rescue them from execution. And through the movie, you begin to see a transition in this man's life from his value to things and position to his value to rescuing people. People. And at the end there, he was so wrecked by his understanding of the power that he had as a person that you see the car had no grip on him anymore. 
The gold had no grip on him anymore. All that mattered is what he could have done and what he did. When we taste the glory of God, do you realize how others matter? And the greatest gift that we can give them is the greatest gift our Father gives us. It's Him. And we're free. You know it? You can walk out these doors right now and never say a word to anybody about your relationship with Christ or the freedom and forgiveness that we have in Him. You're free. Your Father's not going to love you less. But you're also free to go out there and say to the world, He is risen. And He gives life. And in that life, He satisfies. And it is rich. What a privilege that we could do such a thing for His glory.